coming to you all the way from Norfolk, Virginia. Go on podcast and Lemon Pepper and Zone presents The Zest with Jordan Burton and Day Day. Hello, 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 everybody. So, my name is Jordan Burton. I am a member of Lemon Pepper and Sasson Comedy, based out of Hampton Roads, Virginia. Um, We are a POC collective that searches to bring the flavor to sketch comedy and improv comedy. And we are very excited to bring you our first episode of our podcast called The Zest, subtitled The Seasoning Sessions, where we are going to give you that that raw, that's real, that getting to the nitty gritty of um, issues that face, you know, that POC face in the arts. And so um, you can find us on LPS Comedy 757 on Instagram, Lemon Pepper and Sasson Comedy on Facebook. Um, definitely keep your eyes peeled. We will um, send you more announcements on how you can reach our podcast on these websites. But I really want to get into the content. So without further ado, I am going to introduce our first guest, our co-host. Um, he got a he got he got a throat from the gods on vocal cords is right. Um, he is a very good actor. He does some good local plays and productions. But let's go ahead and bring him on. You guys welcome. Let's get a drum roll going. Hey day. What hey, hey, doing? hey. Good afternoon, um, evening, morning, buenos. Diaz, Tardes, whatever it is in your area. Thank y'all so much. Uh, yes, my name is Dede. One of, I don't know how many members we have at this point, but one of eight. many, okay, one of eight for Lemon Pepper and Sasson. I'm super excited to be here with you all today to discuss something that I thought was amazing when I was talking with Jordan prior to the show. And we wanted to talk about what it's like being Black during quarantine. And so many things under that umbrella, but you can edit that part out. So many things that happen under that umbrella that I was like, yo, we have to talk about this. Um, So Jordan, actually, one thing that I know it's super easy to talk about a lot of the, the negative things and we will talk about them. But I actually one thing that surprised me and I think it's it goes with the historical narrative that despite unprecedented amount of oppression or this cards being stacked against us. One thing that I love about POC is that we always find the light or find a way to breed creativity in some of the worst scenarios. And when I really sat back about thinking about quarantine, one of a few of the things that really popped in my head, as I said, despite one of the first things that happened during the quarantine was that we had stuff like DJs doing sets on Instagram and you would just have thousands of people listening to music together, bonding on Instagram. Or then we started having like versus battles with uh, Timbaland and Swiss Beats. And I was like, these are the things that, despite everything going on, kind of remind me of the humanity of people and remind me that no matter what's going on, we're going to find a way to have fun and celebrate. And that actually really brought me a lot of joy because I tell you. 
You know, definitely. Um, we love to see it. And I will see, of course, there's always that silver lining, you know. Um, I always told myself, even before the pandemic, you cannot go around being cynical and always being focused on what's wrong with the world every day. Mm-hmm. You're going to get tired. And, you know, like you said, with the versus battles and all that good stuff like that, go to the Facebook and check out that Brandy and Monica versus live stream we just had. Yes. But um, yes. the first thing that came out was the the TikTok dances. And Megan Thee Stallion released her mm-hmm. EP and savage was going i never did the dance but i did practice it in the mirror i am a firm believer i'm a firm um i'm very against having a tiktok but we'll talk about that <laughs> later <laughs> no talk about it now why don't you want a tiktok i, I just i don't know i just you know I, maybe i'm getting older i'm not gonna disclose my age but it's like you know i'm looking at new technology and be like look at these kids and I, i'm a high school teacher for reference and you know the kids were just crazy about doing dub smashes and tiktoks and they were just disturbing class and i was like you kids get off of that tiktok but you know like i know you know back in the day um Vine was a thing, and I was sitting Who? in my uh, freshman college class doing Vine, Who? and I had what was Who that? Were you Vine? What's that? You know, do it for the Vine. I ain't gonna I'm do just it. Messing with you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so um, you know, definitely um, you know, and one thing that I tried to do was you know find a hobby. First thing I did was contact my therapist, and I was like, well, how are we going to do this with COVID starting? So we had, you know, the the virtual sessions. Um, I was looking at the takeout restrictions. One front of one of the first things I Googled was, is it safe to go grab takeout? And once I saw that, okay, takeout is safe, they're good. Okay, we have, you know, a little hobby. I got a Nintendo Switch. So I started getting video games because it was like, okay, there were days. And definitely, there's definitely days where it's like gloom and doom mm-hmm. and grief because it's like, man, I can't even do something as simple as, you know, have a late night creep out to the 7 Eleven and get me an Arizona iced tea. Ah, y'all thought I was going to say something different. Um, <laughs> now, you know, there might have been there might have been a slip up at the beginning of quarantine, but I've been very good about I'm not, not judging you by your past because you don't live there no more. I don't. It was six months ago. and We don't live there no more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so but I do, you know, talk about the positives. We do also have to examine some of the negative things that I've been seeing, some of the things oh, yes. that have been peering into how we're viewing quarantine. And I definitely want to say one of the first things I I saw where it was in New York City, and that's where the pandemic really it hit the hardest in America. Because you know, when people are traveling internationally, they're gonna go to one of two states. They're gonna go to California or they're going to go to New York. And you know, I was seeing pictures of working class people, mostly black and brown people, they're on the subways. And you know, in New York, you don't have to have a car because I actually have a summer job in New York and I don't bring my car. Mm-hmm. But there's people who are like packed on the subways in rush hour, and people are taking pictures of people packed on to these subways and they're saying i don't know why all these people aren't taking the pandemic seriously because they could have just waited simply waited for another train and the thing is i'm tired i've been working all day i need to get home i'm going to get home new york city and it's just like society set up my life to where i have to depend on public transportation to get where i need to go because unfortunately the policies of where places are where people worked did not catch up to the mandates by the cdc it wasn't necessarily they wasn't moving parallel so i know for me like my specific school system they were actually one of the last ones to close because we did not shut down until the governor said every school in virginia is not going to be open starting on this date i know some of the other ones surrounding ones they were closing but my district was one of the last ones to close 
And so, you know, and I know for me, like, we've never had such a pandemic that was, you know, as serious as this. So it's like, you know, I'm thinking back to the last one that I remember. Um, I was in high school, you know, with the swine flu, and I never really walked around worried about catching swine flu, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the start of the pandemic, um, I really was not worried about catching coronavirus. I actually took a vacation out to Florida when, uh, you know, the quarantine first started. But <laughs> like, again, you're not going to judge me by my past. That, that cough you keep giving, though, has me concerned. You're saying all these <laughs> stories and then keep coughing. And I'm like, hmm. Allergies. Anyway, this this allergies, I promise. I need to take some Alivert, some Zyrtec. We're going to knock on wood, hope this cough does not progress. And I guarantee you, I did not catch a cough six months later from being in Florida. Okay, okay, touche. I'm going to drink some water, get some in my throat, you know. So, um, you know, another thing that I do want to talk about is because... Um, unfortunately, we know the George Floyd incident, it started a lot of protests and things like that. But this was even weeks before. <clears throat> now, please don't judge me, but I still sometimes I get my news from Mr. Jeffrey Sean King. And please don't cancel me because I still get my news from him. However, I was getting news from his uh, Broken social clocks media. can be right two times a day. Exactly. And, you know, he is kind of good with getting the um, news out. I have not donated a single dime to him. So and I've never asked anybody to donate a dime to him. And, you know, if, if you if you don't know about Sean King, uh, watch the watch the Scam Goddess podcast and or listen to the Scam Goddess podcast and learn more about Sean King, because that's not what we're here to talk about. today. Allegedly. For the, allegedly. For legal. I'm allegedly. sorry to talk about what he allegedly did, because, you know, uh, Mr. King is very litigious. Allegedly. Um, so <clears throat> anyways, um, he put out that, you know, just the parallels of how the police were handling um black and brown people who are not quarantining um more specifically you know young black children in new york and they were being really rough with them and you know sometimes if you ever ride the subway in new york you'll have kids that are selling like candy or selling like gatorades out of you know um coolers when it's hot outside because it was starting to get hot around the time that we were first put on quarantine and you know the police they were like brutalizing them and they were like slamming them around and they were being really rough with them but if you go like right outside of the city there would be you know white people um out in the park you know laying out and you see you just see the parallels and you see like the the difference like the police were out there just being calm and they actually had masks and they were handing masks out to the people that were, you know, to the white people that were out at the park. And, you know, so it's just like, okay, so both groups are technically not following the quarantine, how it was set up or mandated by the government, but y'all are inherently being rougher towards one group than you are the others. What's so interesting to me, though, is even thinking and imagining those two scenarios, it really speaks volumes about the economic debt economic situation in our country while certain people are quarantining and they have the luxury of laying out and enjoying some free time you have other kids who literally are children and don't have the option of the comfort of just saying oh we're going to be okay they're literally out there still trying to hustle to get some money just because unfortunately maybe their parents no longer have you know the financial resources or we don't know what their situations are and i said to me the fact that we demonize said children what does that do for their psyche 10 years down the line? Like those are the types of things that I don't think people are often taken into account. But part of that is because a lot of times the black experience or the POC experience is dehumanized or or maybe better to say that it's detached from a sense of humanity when people approach us. And I said, that's really, really unfortunate because 
those kids, they grow up, these Gen Zs, they grow up and uh, your whole life is recorded, you know, generation. So it's like 10 years from now when they're in high school, people are like, oh, you were the kid that was in that photo. Or when they go to that job interview, you were that kid. Like there's no way to escape those types of outcomes. And that's, I'm very curious to see what that will mean for the psychology field or what the studies will look like 10 years from now when those kids are older. See, that's really good. Um, And, you know, these are things that Black children deal with even before the pandemic. Um, I work in high school level and these kids are, they're coming into high school between the ages of 14 and 16. And there are some kids, and I, I run into this a whole lot, and definitely had to really change my approach to how I run a classroom and work with teenagers and work with students. Um, some of these kids, they are so used to every adult being against every move that they make and just them existing because they have such a stigma with them mm-hmm. where, you know, um, and I I mean, you even hear it with um, some of the people that I've heard in education, like you, we should go. Oh, that's a whole nother episode where I can go through some of the problematic things I've allegedly heard in education because, you know, I'm still trying to keep my job. But um, it's like <laughs> there's such a there's just such a stigma with, you know, our children of color. And I'm in my classroom like we that stigma it creates a hostility because like I have to think about it, put myself in their shoes. If every time I try to simply exist, somebody is telling me you need to stop. You need to knock that off. That's mm-hmm. not correct. And I don't know what's wrong with you. Like I'm constantly being criticized. I'm going to become hostile. I'm going to become hostile to any type of authority. Yeah. I'm going to become hostile to any type of adult, even if it's an adult that's trying to help me. So it's literally sometimes I will have to sit with um, certain uh, certain teenagers, certain students, and I really have to talk to them. Like, I mean, talk to them, like have a conversation. And it's like, this is not a teacher talking to a student. This is this is the person talking to a person. This is Jordan talking to, you know, um, whatever the child's name was at the time. And, you know, I'm just really trying to get to the root of it. And a lot of the times you hear things like, well, I already know you don't like me. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, let's let's rewind that back. Why don't you think that I like you? Like, what is, what, what's the reason? And, you know, I really have to go through the rhetoric of, I wake up at 5.15 every morning and I have to get up. I have to make sure the lesson plans are right for up to 120 20 children. And so, and also whenever you get in trouble with school, it actually creates more work for me. So if, you know, I have to end up writing a referral, that means that I don't get to eat lunch that day until after school, or, you know, I don't get to immediately go home after I'm done. I have to stay back, write the referral, send the referral to the administration. Like it's just, it's very time consuming. It's time consuming for me. And now it's time consuming for you and your family, because now they have to call your mom at home. And now your mom is, you know, getting into it with you at the house. It just causes a lot of time consumption that I don't think I have or you have, wanna have. you know, if you or, you know, exactly. You know, I don't you know, what I'm saying like I don't I didn't really pick this profession. So I would get into it with teenagers like there are some teachers that do. But we go we go leave that alone. That's, a, that's <laughs> their unresolved trauma from the bullies exactly. that they dealt with in high school and the fact that they just still ain't growing. But that's none of my business. Oof, we <laughs> we go leave that alone. But I've really built like 
relationships with some of these kids that are um that have had that have had you know behavioral issues and it's like instead we are so quick to say in your mind uh, whenever because these kids are well known around the school whenever you see these kids on the roster that some of these teachers their first mind their their first uh, thought is to okay how am i going to discipline this children when this child acts up? instead of how am i going to talk to this child to know that i'm really here to work with them and not necessarily argue with them i've had several kids like that and you know then when um the the security guard of the administration um comes to my class and they're like how does this child act and i was like they're fine um uh i'm gonna talk about a, a young lady that i had uh, when i first started um when i first started like really teaching like six years ago five six years ago and um she was you know she was a gang member she was tied to a you know she was tied to a gang and you know they would say like whenever she got into a fight she would like she would fight like she was trying to survive like people like there there were um other students that went to the hospital behind this child and you know they were saying that like she was just a terror in class and you know the security came and they said we looking for her because of an incident and i know she's in here acting a fool and da 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 and i was just like you talking about her She's quiet. She don't really say anything in my class. Uh, you know, very, she's very pleased, very thank you. Um, you know, uh, how do I do this assignment? And they were they were literally like shocked. But it's just like, you know, sometimes it's like, um, and these kids are old enough to know um, if somebody is already hostile or prejudging them versus are you really trying to work with me? You know, 15 or 16, they already have that insight to, to tell the difference. You have 15 but, you know, years of experience of- at that point. You, you, you really hit it on the head because for the first time, it sounds like you are seeing the student and you're not just seeing them through the lens and the narrative of the troubled black child or the troubled POC child. And for so many kids, so many students or so many children, they're seen for being black before they're ever seen for being a person with their own nuance and their own ideas and thoughts. And they're never encouraged. And after a while you start to believe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If everyone thinks I'm bad, maybe I am bad. So let me enact that badness. And then it turns out this person should have been the person curing cancer or doing something brilliant, but they never got to materialize that because no one ever took the time to actually care or be interested in what they had to say because everything was constantly shunned. And I feel like that echoes what everything you said to me sounds, it echoes the whole issue around policing, where it's like, if you, if people are showing up with a certain level of implicit bias automatically towards people of color, it's going to be very challenging. If you see Black people or POC as savages, no one in their right mind is going to approach a quote unquote savage with trying to negotiate or trying to do something that can de-escalate a situation. You come to the situation heightened. That's inherent in the issue because it's like, you have people who don't look like us who are actually committing atrocity, like monstrosities. Like it's like literally you're killing, excuse me, you shot up an entire, let me pause for the editing. So you have people that come out here and they're literally killing people in a movie theater, killing people in a church. And they walk out so peacefully because in the back of their minds, they are able to separate the behavior from the person they don't view that person as inherently bad the way that they do us when oftentimes our actions aren't actually even bad. It's just that because both of those things are entangled like August and Anjada, they're unable to 
see anything other than black, bad, white, good. And that's really scary. So that's why you can have little kids with toy guns and they're like, oh my God, they're a threat. Like when you really stop back and think what little children, if a little child has a gun, wouldn't the obvious thought be let's get this gun from the child? It shouldn't be let me shoot said child and wearing a protective bullet press suit, bulletproof vest. Like some of the things that happen, I'm like, but when so-and-so X, Y, and Z can go shoot up a church and still have the rifle in his hand, you didn't, get feel the need to, yeah, you didn't feel the need to neutralize said threat when it's actually been proven by their behavior that they're a threat. And that those are the things where I'm like, a day of racial sensitivity training is not going to do anything about that because this is an ongoing process that requires intentional efforts to re to reimagine or to address the implicit things that we think about the quote unquote other while also recognizing the things that bridge us together. It's not a one size fit all type of glove. It is going to be a very nuanced conversation because for so many people, they're not even aware that they carry these biases. And then other people, because of their own anecdotal experiences, they've now extrapolated this entire false narrative about POC. Oh, well, that's why like, I love the meme that says, no, they don't like Black people. They like you. There's a difference because for some people, if your experience is, oh, but I have a Black friend, so I can't be racist. It's like, no, your Black friend, you've decided to finally see your Black friend as a nuanced person and you've chosen to mute their color, maybe because they mute their color and minimize that in your presence. So oh. again, you don't have you don't like your friend because they're black or don't, you don't appreciate their nuance because they're black because in all, for all intents and purposes, they could be any color. Their blackness is irrelevant. Let's, um, let's take that, 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 that small scale and let's put it to a bigger scale because we know we've seen it with, um, the, the the protest. And, Mm -hmm. um, instead of people saying, okay, why are, why are all these, why are all these minorities? Why are all these black people? Why are they upset? Why are they congregating in big groups for, um, you know, to, to get justice for certain situations that we've been seeing? You know, we've been seeing the, the Breonna Taylor, um, the George, George Floyd, Floyd, Elijah um, McClain. Elijah, yeah, the Elijah the McClain. Yeah, uh, all of that. And so, you know, and my favorite thing is that people say, you know, white folks will really understand a revolution when they watch it in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. They will see, oh, these mutants are so oppressed and they need to come together against these humans. And it's just it's just horrible how they discriminated against. I don't get it. And it's just like what, what I mean, it's like, OK, so you get it when you're when it's given. It, it's um, I saw a tweet and I need to figure out who sent this tweet. But it was like, you know, um white people understand why uh, protest and things like that when it's in a uh when it's in a fictional book but they just don't understand it when it comes to black people you understand it when you read diverging you understand mm-hmm. it when you watch mad max mm-hmm. you understand it when you watch the x-men but you know when what is happening in real life with black folks y'all really just try to minimize it and say i don't understand why you guys need to do all of that and literally what they're doing and the thing about it is um <clears throat> So some of the riots had, I'm sorry, some of the protests had riots and um, looting attached, but it was a very small percentage. Less than 7%, I believe. Exactly. It's a very small percentage. And another thing is that um, I want to say, if you go to the the Target situation that happened, um, that 
it was the target, like they had like tear gas in their eyes and the target mm-hmm. was saying, we're not letting y'all in here. Y'all cannot come in here. And so what happened was, is they said, well, we're getting in here because we need stuff for the tear gas in our eyes. And that's what happened. But another thing about it is I used to work at Walmart. So I know like every single thing that's in a retail store, it has insurance. Um, it has insurance. And it can be replaced. And actually, the CEO of Target said that. So -hmm. these things can be replaced. What cannot be replaced are these Black lives that were lost due to police negligence. So, you know what? If somebody went to the Gucci store and stole, you know, an outfit or they went to the Nike store and they took, you know, a pair of shoes, none of that can ever equate to the value of a Black life that was lost prematurely due to negligence or um, the the incompetence, really, of the police because of their own biases and prejudices that they hold in their minds. Because doctors can be sued for malpractice. So again, there's tons of different things that it's like in any other normal scenario, you would have consequences or accountability. I was like, like this concept of qualified immunity is foolish at this point because we realize that you can't continue. Like, I'm being quite honest. I don't watch the killings because I don't think it's healthy for Black people to watch people that look like them constantly being murdered. To me, it's very similar to when they would host public lynchings and public hangings and things of that nature. You do that as a fear tactic to intimidate people. And we can have an whole other conversation about the infiltration of the policing system and its origins when it comes to slave catchings in the South and how I think white suprem- how white supremacists were actually very effective and oppression because they knew that in order to actually be a minority in society, but hold the power, they had to infiltrate positions of power. So they became your judges. They became your congresswomen, they be- congressmen and women. They became your presidents. They became Ooh. your police officers. They became your sheriffs, your deputy. They became your, your prosecutor, your everything that called that actually has material difference, makes a material difference in your life. It's not beneficial for them to be your local clerk. Your local, and that's not a slight on being a clerk, but the clerk doesn't hold the same power in the judicial system that the judge would have when they can sentence you for 30 years for having the same drug that they actually let someone else get off with probation that would might have been color redacted, as you would say. Therefore, we've gotten to a place where after, after honestly, centuries at this point, uh, 400 years of abject slavery and followed by another 100 years of what would be considered domestic terror and violence against Black people, Baby. people magically then turn into this thing. I was like, I don't understand why people are so mad. And it's like, what do you mean? But because we do such a good job at the brainwashing and the whitewashing, and that wasn't even a pun, but the whitewashing of American history to fit the narrative of the oppressor, we don't actually get to learn the, the true hidden details that actually connect the puzzle pieces that would get us to why we're here, which would also help people to understand why the things like reparations are a necessity and not actually are a debt to be owed and why things like reparative measures for Native Americans is actually a debt that is owed. But if you never learn those things and if you don't actually see the chronological timeline, it looks like this magical like you guys are just mad for no reason. We had a black president. That's when you get to that narrative. But unfortunately, I look at this and I'm like, wow. And at first I was like, oh, you know, I think people are just uninformed. And then I realized, no, it's intentional. Yeah. I said, Germany did what the reason that Germany was so successful after the Holocaust and the atrocities that 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 brought was because they did a full on mea culpa. They intentionally made sure that 
people would have full on education about that horrific incident in their history. They made sure they did play reparations to Jewish organizations. They did everything that they were supposed to do from an economic standpoint, from an educational standpoint, to ensure that it doesn't happen in the future. It doesn't mean the Holocaust didn't happen, but it goes a long way in making sure there's reconciliation amongst the people and the German nation. And I said, we haven't addressed, we've addressed the voting rights. We voted, we've addressed, you know, we're no longer three-fifths of a person and things of that nature. I was like, but we've never addressed the economic disparity that started back in after the Civil War. Besides the 12 years of reconstruction, we never addressed the fact that what General Tecumseh Sherman said, 12 acres and a mule, uh, what is it, 40 acres and a mule, what that would have done for a family of four is that that's the skill set they had that would have given them a chance to gain wealth. But at every turn that we've done that in America, they've thwarted it. Look at things like Tulsa, the Tulsa, Oklahoma Tulsa bombing. Do we see that in our history books? Of course not. And where are most of our history books written? In Southern states that would have been promulgating this horrible narrative. Like when I found out that they were now trying to call the Civil War the Northern, the aggression of the Northern states or something, uh, North, Northern aggression war or something. I'm like, how did we get to this point? Where facts don't really, facts become fiction and fiction is whatever fits your fantasy. That's really scary at this point. Do you remember when, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Game of Thrones, uh, the writers of... Oh, it's it's fine. Um, you, you didn't miss much that last that last season. Was Don't talk a fool. about it because I do plan to watch it eventually. <laughs> okay, that that last <laughs> that very last season was a fool. But the writers of Game of Thrones, they actually back in 2017, you can search it up on Twitter. You see them getting dragged, where they wanted to make a show called Confederate, where they were going to make an alternate reality where the Confederacy won the Civil War, and you know it just it just completely went with like the fantasism of you know white people who want to keep being um oppressed and stuff like that and it was just a whole fool like why would you why would you think this is something that is a good idea however we are um we are out of almost out of time um for today today's topic it was a really great discussion um but really quick we just want to wrap it up so me and you i have a question i want to ask you and every single time that we are going to have a guest on for those of you who are listening we are going to ask something called the zesty question of the day Mm. and these questions do not necessarily have a right or wrong answer these might be questions that you know um black people and poc have been debating about since the dawn of time um so actually a question that i want to talk to you about today i want to ask you is who was the most influential rapper of the 90s that carried their influence into today. And so we have three options. We have A, we have Miss Lauren Hill. We have B, Missy Elliott. And we have C, Lil' Kim. Now, I'm going to I'm let you answer first, and I'm going to give you my answer. We're going to see if it matches up. You're trying to get me canceled because those are three icons. So this is a tough, but I actually have my answer. I'm okay, going to an preface my answer with saying I think all are amazing. And honestly, I'm from VA, so Missy Elliott is just one of the most iconic everything, producers, singers, uh, everything. But I'm actually, based on how you worded the question, I'm going to say Little Kim. And this is why. When Little Kim came out, Little Kim brought a level of vulgarity and braggadociousness. I don't even know if that's a real word. She brought a bravado to female rap 
that honestly hadn't been seen. It was unprecedented. She dressed in a way that was overtly sexual and feminine while also spitting bars that would make men even squirm. And the reason why I say that's so influential is because when you listen to the quote unquote, the savage R&B of today, females singers, or you listen to like artists like Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, things of that nature, they all are a direct lineage from the level of expression and freedom especially sexually, that little Kim liberated to the magnitude that she did. Other women were doing it. You had salt and peppers and things of that. People, Other people were doing it, but little Kim took it so mainstream that it allowed for the modern women like the Nikki's, the Cardi's, and Megan. So I'm going to have to say little Kim would be the most influential on today's rap. We are always on the same brain wavelength because I was thinking little Kim too for the exact same reasons. Like um definitely I do like I do like Missy Elliott. Um y'all know what I, I'm I'm gonna keep my comments about Lauren Hill to myself because I do enjoy her music. However I do think she does cut a fool. But you know what we gonna leave it alone. <laughs> I say she gonna hear this <laughs> but it'll be two years from now anyway so it's okay. I, yes. <laughs> As I, I I do I enjoy her music. I just think that sometimes she does not give her fans what they deserve. She does not give back her fans what her fans give to her. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to keep it cute. So don't nobody come for me on Twitter and cancel this podcast. Uh, but you know, um, you know, little kid, like, you know what I'm saying? Like the, one of the like most talked about records of the summer was WAP. And I was like, that is definitely, those lyrics were definitely, they, they were nothing new in terms of vulgarity or, you know, provocativeness. Cause you know, Lil Kim was talking about, she used to be scared of the deal. Hey. So, <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know that's the um, you know how many licks by Cisco. I remember being eight. I, I remember being eight years old, sneaking and watching that video. So my mama went tearing my hind parts up. So um, you know I um definitely I feel like Lil Kim holds the most influential over um female rappers of today. So I definitely agree with you on that part. So I'm glad that we can have the first dusty question of the day not be a debate and more so an agreement. Yeah. But with that being said, thank you for um coming up here and recording with me and talking about some serious issues and also cutting a fool really quick <laughs> for our viewers. You know, he is also a part of Lemon Pepper and Sasson Comedy, but where can we specifically find Just Day Day? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at, um, at D-A-I underscore T-Y-M-E and I'm on Twitter finally at Daypool D-A-I-P-O-O-L-E you can find me on both places. Jordan, I appreciate you for having me on the inaugural episode of the podcast. And I definitely hope I get to come back because there's so much more we can discuss. And one last thing really quick. So what y'all may not know about Day Day is that he is a writer for thisisrnb.com. So yeah. uh, talk if you want to talk about that just for a little bit, just yes. let them know we can find your articles. Yes, if you go to thisisrmb.com, you can search D-A-I space P-O-O-L-E and all my articles that I've written should come up. There are also tons of other great writers on there. I tend to post every Monday. So if you want to check the site on Monday evening, you should see my post there. All right, that sounds good. Well, thank you for listening. This has been The Zest, The Seasoning Sessions, and always remember to keep it spicy at home. Period.